0: reading this morning comes from Psalm 133 and is titled, The Blessedness of Unity. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard and on the beard of Aaron running down all over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life evermore. The second reading is from Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. It's the Transfiguration. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, Easter is over, so I guess we can all go home now, but until uh, till Advent, so it was an idea for a few folks, but no, we want to keep uh, in, in our mind the folks who are traveling this week, but uh, Easter is not actually over in the church, we'll continue until Pentecost, we've got five more weeks of Easter, uh, but often in, in our culture we move so quick that we, so we have had the start of the season, pretty much done, or at least we think we are. It's interesting because uh, you know, we, we in the church understand these things to be seasons. Christmas lasts six weeks, Easter lasts six weeks, but we're so, we're so quick to move and quick to be done with things. Uh, but we are getting to a time of year in the church where things slow down. We have fewer folks in worship, we're going to have fewer things going on in the church. We have a few things planned for the spring, but it just things just slow down. That's just part of this time of year, that's part of what happens in the spring and summer in the American church. And uh, one of the struggles we have in the church is how to keep people's time. How, how do you deal with Sunday morning youth sports? And how do you deal with all these things that are competing with our time and, and making us think that there are things more important than God and more important than church for our lives? Uh, for young people, for example, that's a continued to struggle. For our United Methodist camping ministries, we uh, are struggling with uh, lower and lower and lower year after year attendance to camps because as crazy as it sounds... Uh, you can't get middle schoolers to find a week that they can spend at camp. They don't have a week off all summer. And as crazy as it sounds, there's too much going on for so many of our youth opportunities to exist to help grow and build the faith of young people when it's so crucially important. And oftentimes, there's just way too much else going on in their world. This is the world we live in. This is the, the excitement, the noise. The From now until pen- Talk about the noisy world. We're going to talk about praying in a noisy world. For annual conference, uh, the annual conference has asked that all of you attending read a book from Bishop Reuben P. Job. It's a devotional book called uh, Praying in a Noisy World. Uh, Listen, Praying in a Noisy World. And it's a little book, um, and, uh, and it's a 40 day devotional, and it takes you through various scriptures. And it brings you to the idea of praying in a noisy world. And I'm, what I'm doing in these next six weeks is kind of adapting this devotional into sermons and talking about my perspective of what it means to pray in a noisy world. And I'm also including uh, from the book uh, these scripture reflections that I wrote up, but they're from the, they're the scriptures from the book for each of the 40 days. So this is a 40-day sermon series. It's going to be preached in six sermons. So that means there's some homework for you during the week. Uh, you're going to get these white sheets in your bulletin, and they've got a scripture for you. Uh, for each day of the week, uh, all the way through next Sunday. And this is a time for you to go home and to reflect and to read these scriptures and to connect and, and listen and pray. And we're going to talk about that this week. I think that listening is the most important key to beginning a healthy prayer life, to learn to listen to God. Uh, it's, uh, it's the holiest time of the year here in the St. Louis area, uh, not Easter opening weekend, um, and uh, baseball begins, uh, began last week, and the Cardinals are at home uh, tomorrow, and, and this is a really exciting time, and, uh, but of course, you know, interestingly, we, we usually get spoiled. Usually we get to have an opening game pretty soon, uh, but we've gone through two series now um, uh, with uh, playing on other teams, playing against Cincinnati and, and against Chicago, kind of a way, and I've been listening to the games on the radio a lot. It just seems that all last week, uh, there's something going on, I guess, and holy week or and I haven't been able to get to a TV in the evening, so I've been listening on the radio in between. And, uh, and I love listening to the games. Um, I love listening to the games. And we didn't have cable until last year anyway, so I used to always listen to the games. And, uh, and I love listening to Mike Shannon and, 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 uh, and the others and just listening to them uh, try and paint a picture knowing that we can't see. All too often when you watch TV, especially with some of the sportscasters now, uh, they're talking about the politics of sports for three innings, and you're having to watch what's happening because they aren't interested in the game. Mike Shannon is a Cardinal fan, and he did, if you don't watch baseball, this guy is an older guy. He's a former Cardinal baseball player, and he just loves the game. He loves the the team, and he will tell you every little detail. You know, there's, there's a smudge of dirt under the third stitch of the baseball, and he's about to throw it. I mean, this guy is great. So I love listening to the game, and I love listening to him, and I, I love all this stuff going on. And uh and sometimes, though, AM radio doesn't come in very well. There is one FM station that rebroadcasts uh, the, uh, the Cardinal game, but it doesn't always come in. So you've got to listen to AM, and of course, AM radio is not very reliable. And yesterday, I was out with my parents, we were riding motorcycles, uh, we took a day and rode around, Ashley had to work, so uh, we, we enjoyed some time out in the, she sat in her office, and, uh, and uh, we rode around on the bikes, and... Um, we, but we were way out kind of in, uh, you know, Augusta and Defiance and that kind of area. So, you know, far away from where this FM station comes in. And, but I was still getting uh, 1120 AM. I was still getting the Cardinal game on the AM radio. But it was staticky, right? Uh, and not only that, but, you know, when you're on a motorcycle, uh, you know, going 55, 60 miles an hour, it's a lot of wind, so you can't hear that well anyway. So you, don't, you only get beats and bits and pieces. It only comes in so well. And uh, so I was listening intently. I was trying to hear the story. Every time we'd stop, uh, my mom and, and, and stepdad would want to know the score. Uh, you know, they don't have a radio in their bike, so they'd want to know the score. And I'd... Um, but you've got to listen really intently through all the static and the wind and the other cars and the exhaust and the motorcycle and all these things going on in the world that are competing with Mike Shannon over the radio. And I realized as you know, preparing for the sermon that, uh, that that's kind of what we're talking about. We know the voice we're wanting to listen to. We're here in this place, sitting in these pews. Because we have affirmed that this is the voice we want to listen to, right? Uh, we, we know in these people, I know you people, and I, I know that you know the voice that you're supposed to be listening for. The, the struggle comes in listening for it in the midst of so many other voices. In the midst of so much static and wind and, and noise and, and commotion. There's so much else to listen to. Sometimes we have to restrain and focus to listen to the voice of God that we're supposed to be listening to. I'm I'm drawn to the series, and I'm drawn to this book. Uh, You know, I, I hadn't actually even heard of it until I got it in the mail. I got a little envelope in the mail that said, read this book for annual conference, and I thought, wow, this is really good. I enjoy this, and I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do after Easter. Because how important and essential this is, as we kind of get into this lull season, with even more going on to compete with our time, even more going on to compete with the voices that we should be listening to. To listen now, Bishop Job offers some pragmatic advice. He's a one of the thing, he passed away recently this uh, last year, um, but he uh, is a well-known author, a well-known theologian, and but he's fantastic at providing pragmatic examples, right? So when he talks about how to pray, he doesn't give you a whole bunch of deep theological reasons of how to pray. He doesn't give you a whole lot of ideas of where to draw the right words. He says, "Find a comfy chair, sit down, and listen." That's his advice for prayer. Find a comfy chair, sit down. Where it's quiet and listen, and that's kind of what we're starting about this week. As we begin this six-week series, it's kind of the for us is to find a way to listen, to find somewhere quiet, and just to listen, whatever that means for us. Listening is in the New Testament today, for Luke. It's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, we're out of order, so uh, don't call the uh, the liturgy police on me. Uh, but the transfiguration comes before Easter. Uh, but it fits. It just fits uh, this morning. And the story of the transfiguration of Jesus is, uh, of course, the story of Jesus and his disciples going to the mountaintop and meeting Moses and Elijah. Now, there's an undertow here. There's a subplot here that you have to understand. And that is, for a faithful Jew, Moses and Elijah are about as important as it gets. They're about as extraordinary a human being as it ever walked the earth. I mean, you can't strive to be God, right? The concept of being Christ-like didn't yet exist. You can't strive to be God. You're not going to be God. And in fact, that would be a very offensive and horrible thing to say that you're trying to be God. Uh, But there are people you can be like. People like Moses and Elijah. People who had extraordinary, supernatural, and who were asked to do extraordinary, supernatural things for God. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, the guy down the street who was called to serve some folks uh, some, some meals. Not that that's not extraordinarily important. But Elijah and Moses were, well, these guys were probably the most famous people in the history of the universe at this point. These were the most important people in their faith. Elijah and Moses, second to God, of course, was just an essential part of their faith. I mean, they didn't worship Moses and Elijah, but they understood them to be extraordinarily important. Sort of like today, how we view the disciples, or Mary, or you know, like Paul. These, these individuals who had extraordinary faith who acted on that faith, and were asked to do something incredible by God. We draw inspiration from that. We say, wow, what must it be like to be Paul and a minister to the world, to be Mary and, and to be in the midst of fear and not understanding what's going on in the world, and, but being to do what God asks us to do anyway. Well, Moses and Elijah is that. Only times ten, right? The, 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 the Jewish faith is all about these incredible prophets. And so they meet Moses and Elijah. Now these guys aren't who you're supposed to meet every day, right? This isn't like, oh, they got to go backstage and meet their favorite band, right? This is Moses and Elijah. They show up from the place you're not supposed to ever get back out of, right? I mean, who would want to leave anyway, right? These guys have, have passed on. They, they show up with the presence of God. Jesus doesn't even look recognizable. His face and his clothes are bright. It's hard to look at. it so bright. It's a it's the grandeur of God, and then they're surrounded by a cloud, and they're scared to death, and they don't know what to do, and so they start saying silly stuff. They say, well, let's, let's hide you guys up here. Let's build some shelters up here, and I love uh, many translations, put a parenthesis in there that was in, in some of the manuscripts that says they don't know what they were talking about or some form of that, and, uh, and they're just understanding that these guys don't realize how important this story is, how this changes everything. But the disciples have kind of a short-term, one-track mind. So they don't see how Jesus standing in the midst of Moses and Elijah changes the universe forever. They just see it as something incredible that they don't ever want to leave. They don't ever want to stop experiencing this. But something really important happens, and it's the voice of God. Now, God speaks a lot. God speaks to us through our prayers. God speaks through the prophets. God speaks through Jesus. God speaks through the disciples. But a few times in the Scriptures, God speaks Through his own voice. Not through an angel. But God's voice comes through the clouds. And this is one of those times. You have to think that God, who's not a guy who minds delegating tasks very much. In fact, he seems to prefer it, right? He seems to prefer you get the work done you're supposed to do so he doesn't have to do it himself, right? That seems to be the way this guy operates. But this was so important that God needed to do it himself. And he says... Couple of words. He says, This is my son. I've chosen him. Listen to him. That's it. He's got the disciples. He's got Moses and Elijah and Jesus. He's got the most, one of the most important moments in the history of the universe is happening right here. God chooses to speak, and that's all he says. He says, Listen to this guy. He knows his stuff. I picked him. It occurs to me how extraordinary important listening is, how important it is to listen for the voice of God, to listen for how God is calling us in our lives, how essential it is to listen for God. If it wasn't, God wouldn't have instructed us to do so in such an incredibly profound way. God was, when God spoke at the baptism of Jesus, God was demonstrating Jesus's authority to the world. Everyone around heard it, everyone around saw it, everyone around knew this guy was not. The next, uh, the, the, the guy from Nazareth, this guy was something incredible. When he did this with just the disciples, <clears throat> this wasn't to demonstrate the grandeur of Jesus, of God. This was to give them the most important piece of instructions they would ever have in their life, which is listen to Jesus. And it's the most important piece of instruction you'll ever have, God. Listen to Jesus. This is important. This is big. This is profound. Last week we lamented the death of Christ and we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. When we were our presence and our prayers, our belief that Jesus Christ not only died for our sins but for our sins. Together, we celebrated communion each week of Lent as a way of connecting with God in the most extraordinary and special and visceral way we have, and as a way of connecting with one another. We talked about we talked about what it means to question and grow our faith today, I kind of wonder where the disciples are. Now, traditionally, the week after Easter, the first week of Easter, this week, is a time to remember the disciples in the upper room after. Now, you can find this, in John chapter 20, the end of the, uh, is where you'll find it. And uh, other places as well. But, but where we find the disciples, we find them hidden and locked behind a door. I want you to understand something that's often not talked about in the in the crucifixion. Usually, and because scripture doesn't give us a tremendous amount of detail about the uh, moments leading up to Jesus' death, not at least compared to today. Isn't it amazing that you know if you uh, you know uh, get hurt at work, there's going to be a thirty-page report on it, right? Or uh, you know something happens legally, right? You know if you don't, you know, two of my brother-in-laws are police officers, and and if you think that they like to write tickets all day, ask them sometime because every every day they've been writing. I mean, to fill out pages and pages of reports on every little thing that happened. And it's just part of their job. And, uh, you know, they could just not give me a ticket if you wanted to save some time. I'd be okay with that. But, uh, you know, this is just, we are a reporting society. We have every detail written down. But but something as extraordinary as Jesus' death fits on a couple of pages. So much detail is left out. Maybe because the author assumed we would understand what's going on. But oftentimes we skip over it. So we kind of go to these, the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, they go to Pontius Pilate. They say he's a heretic crucifying. Pontius Pilate says, okay, they crucify him. Pontius Pilate doesn't care if he's a heretic. Pontius Pilate doesn't care about the Jewish faith. Pontius Pilate is not a Jew. Pontius Pilate is the governor of this area. He is a Roman, uh, he's a Roman subject. Uh, he cares about Rome. What these... What the Sanhedrin had to do, what these Pharisees and Sadducees had to do, is convince Pontius Pilate that Jesus threatened Rome. Pontius Pilate's job here in Rome, or not sorry, here not in Rome, here in the Middle East, here in Jerusalem, is to ease the transition to the inevitable Rome taking over. Rome's occupying this land right now, right? But they haven't quite taken over. And They're on that way, right? Rome wants to conquer the world. They want the whole world to be Rome. So Pontius Pilate is here, and his responsibility now is to try and find ways to make this work while governing, reminding folks that even though this is still Jerusalem, we're still in charge. You're still paying your taxes to us, our military is still here, but we're also a long way from home and outnumbered, and we realize that. So we're going to do this as diplomatically as possible. So they come to him, Pontius Pilate. They come to him because they know he's going to try to keep things diplomatic. And what they convince Pontius Pilate of is that you realize if there's a, an uprising between the two of us, if this Jesus guy really is going to lead these huge swaths of people to this new idea of faith, this new way of understanding God, they might be so bold, been liberated from the Jewish leaders, to maybe liberate themselves from the Roman leaders. I don't know that for a fact, but I wonder the thought. But at some point, somehow or another, they convinced Pontius Pilate that Jesus was not only a threat to the Jewish faith, Jesus was a threat to the rule. So Pontius Pilate agreed to crucify Now imagine you are officers of Jesus' cult. That's the way they were going to put it anyway. Imagine that you were his friends, his allies, his leaders. By this time he had thousands of people called disciples, but there were the twelve. There were the twelve who were in charge, who were the most important disciples. Imagine being them after your leader was executed for political subversion, was executed for threatening Rome. I mean, he was executed for blasphemy and all these other things, but that's not illegal in Rome, unless you're blaspheming against Caesar. He was executed by a foreign occupying military force, because he upset the wrong people and they made sure that everybody was upset with him and they made sure this was a universal. I imagine the fear is extraordinary. Of course they are. Peter denies him three times. He, does, he, he spent his whole last part of his life, he was willing to deny anything, deny, deny his family and all of his belongings and anything he could have had, to be, to be homeless living with Jesus, moving from place to place, preaching the gospel. And when Jesus dies, he says, I don't know the guy, I've never met him. I don't know what you're talking about. He's afraid. So Jesus comes and he finds them locked in this upper room. He shows them his wounds. He proves to them he is who he says he is. They're scared to death. You ever wonder what's going through their head in the upper room? You ever wonder what they're thinking? I wonder for how many of them they recalled that moment of the transition. Those select few who went with Jesus to that moment. I wonder those. I wonder which ones, if any of them, thought about God's booming voice saying listen to him I've picked him this is my son whom I've chosen I wonder if they were about what it meant to follow Jesus now it was one thing to follow Jesus who was popular it was one thing to follow Jesus who was performing miracles left and right who was a bit of a celebrity There's one thing to follow Jesus when you come into a town and the people throw palm branches down because they're just so excited to grace their presence with your presence. Then what does it mean to follow the crucified Jesus? And and then what does it mean to follow the resurrected Jesus? That doesn't even make sense. How is that even possible? I imagine that they had to spend time listening to find out what God's plan was in the midst of something really ordinary. on what prayer means to you. Why do you pray? Who taught you to pray? Why do you think they taught you to pray? Reflect on how others pray, those around you, those who care about you. Think about what it means to them and what it might mean to you. Now, we might be pretty good at praying in one way. For example, we might be good at uh, praying uh, before meals or praying as a family or praying in church, but how often do we pray and listen? You can sit before a meal and pray, and that's important, but how much listening can you get done while you got that fajita popping grease up in your face while you're trying to pray? How much listening can you get done when you're praying in church and something is about to start and Darren's about to start playing on the piano or I'm about to start talking or something? How much listening can you get done when you're praying with family and somebody's going to stand up and say, let's eat? When you pray, how often do you pray and listen, take time to just reflect and pray and listen to what God has to say to you. I think all too often we kind of look at prayer uh, you know, like we do writing you know, letters, to our, letters to Congress, right? Uh, you know, you write a letter, uh, some intern somewhere is going to read it. Maybe, maybe the, uh, the, the, the congressperson you're writing to is going to read a part of it. And one in a million, you're going to get a phone call or some sort of a response, right? We kind of think of, sometimes we think of prayer like that, but we know better, but we, we kind of tend to act like that, right? We just, we send up our prayers, and if something happens, it happens, it's not, whatever. <clears throat> but remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about expectations. What if our expectation was to listen for God and to expect a response? It, it probably won't be a booming visceral response. It, it probably won't be Moses and Elijah and being swarmed up in clouds with the voice of God. If it is, that's pretty cool, but probably not. It's probably going to take some very intent listening to begin to understand what God is calling us to do and to begin to understand what it really means to pray. So pray about it. This week, read through these scriptures each each day of this week, and think about the questions that I've got a few listed here on the bottom, just some ideas of things to listen for. What is this passage saying to me? How can I accept and apply this message? How will this message change my life today? What is this revealing to me today? What does this call forth from my own story? These are all questions that Bishop Jobes writes in his book, and I wanted to include them on this sheet for you. The the idea behind these questions is something to listen for, to listen in our own hearts. So that's my challenge for us this week, is that we begin to listen. As we talk about prayer for the next six weeks, that we would open ourselves up to listen, and to listen to what God might have to say to us world is extraordinarily noisy, and it's going to continue to be noisy, and there's nothing we can really do to change that. You and I probably don't have the authority to stop a world that's way too busy and way too noisy. In fact, on the way up here, Ashley and I were on the car, and uh, just on the way here between Fairview and Sinclair, they were talking about overtaxed children, overtaxed teenagers, and too much stuff going on in the world, and, and the solutions to that, and, you know, you could spend all day talking about the solutions to a world that's too busy, but it just keeps getting busier. It's probably not going to get any less busy. So, listen. Rather than worrying about whether or not we could ever change the fact that the world is getting noisier and there are more voices than God's out there, let's instead focus on listening for God's voice. To God called us through the clouds, to Amen.